Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that never received media credentials for the Oscars We assume they got lost in the post Brought to you by Mystery Box Gifts. Do you really want what you want? Or do you really want the contents of this box? Twenty nine ninety five per box. Absolutely non-refundable. <laughs> uh, is there any inclination as to what will be in this mystery box? No, none whatsoever. In fact, the website, is all it is, is basically that, in, that pitch I've put to you there and a link to buy the box. And it's just a big box with... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, a question mark right. on it. Uh, okay. I mean, I think if nothing else, they're going to get a lot of first-time buyers, you know, people who are just intrigued. Mm. Are there any uh, any reviews on the site so just saying what people have got so far, or is that just No, not... it's embargo. That's part of the oh, contract wow. when you buy it. You're not allowed to say what you got or what you didn't get. Oh, okay. Get. If you do, um, you immediately get it wiped. Yeah, I mean, um, who knows? It might be full of, you know, keys to a new Ferrari. Um you know, flat screen TVs, or, you know, it might be a full sock. of, yeah, un- unpulped versions of Jimmy Savile's autobiography. Who knows? <laughs> um, I mean, it's the the mystery and the intrigue that I think is drawing people in. I mean, you've drawn me in. I'm, I'm straight on there. Oh. Would, you, would you spend twenty nine ninety five on a mystery box? Um, it dep- I don't know. I'd have to look at the, how well designed this website is. How well it's marketed, you know, that's that's the crucial point for me. Um, well, I mean, I believe it's made by <laughs> the same people who, you know, brought you Littlewoods, Debenhams. You know, these are these are high. <laughs> oh, okay, there's a high street brands who are branching out into the 24th century. You know, hipster marketing. I believe. <laughs> well, there's a decent chance of something decent in it that I wouldn't find much use for, but that might be worth yeah. a bit. Then, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, anyway, right, we're here for Films Episode 31. As you may have heard, uh, there's not many of us here today, it's just me and Alex Wayne. Hello there. Uh, and we're going to be talking about, we've both seen quite a lot of films, so and the same films, I think, so it should be quite good in terms of uh, discussing things, because I think we've both seen everything we're talking about, with the exception of one film that only you've seen. Yeah. So... That'll be exciting. Um, so have you been... How, how long has it... Has it been like three weeks since the last film pod? Um, four. It will be four. We have been oh, running we have to books, a schedule, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, have you seen... How many have you seen? A rough count, What do you think? <clears throat> Specifically since, since... this from, like, in the cinema. <laughs> right. You, you, do you mean since we last recorded? Yeah, yeah, since we last recorded. Uh, I've seen, I've seen, seen f- about nine at that point already. Yeah. I've seen four since we last recorded, and I'm going to see a fifth today as well. So I'm going to see uh, Red Sparrow today. Uh, not oh, cool! Quite in, yeah, not not quite in time to make a review here, but um, yeah, been pretty busy. I think it's the same. I think I've seen four as well. I've seen yeah five, including uh, ones that I've not seen at the cinema. But we actually went yesterday, me, Cable, and Beck, and we saw two in a row, which is something I've not done for a long time Ooh. in different cinemas. But it was fun, <laughs> and uh, right, they're, okay. they're the two I'm going to be speaking about. So, um, wow, it, it was a fun day. If you, do you do that very often? Okay. Or? No, I, I almost never do that. Um, it, it's in the, the same way that I don't tend to binge watch TV. I like right. to watch, like to let things settle most of the time. 
I like to have a think about them unless they were just brainless crap. Um, <laughs> well, these two definitely weren't, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was about... You know, That's we went probably... home to Cables and cooked. It was about a two-hour gap, so it wasn't like Insta. So, you know, yeah, I could probably do bit, that. I've... Sunk in a bit there. It was fun. It was good. I would recommend it. Yeah, I think I think I don't really have a problem with it. I think it's just my feeble brain needs a bit of time to process what it's you know just watched. I can't just go into something new. That's fair enough. Yeah, I mean I've never been. I'm the same with TV shows. I can't watch. I think I'm similar limit to you. Two episodes is my limit, unless it's like a half an hour one that doesn't require yeah. a lot of thought. Then I can go beyond that. If say there's three episodes left in the series, then I'd probably watch all three. You know, I wouldn't say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, funny enough, you should mention Double Bills. I feel that there's two films uh, we're discussing today that would work brilliantly as a double bill, but I won't say anything yet. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> we'll see if we can get to that. Um, Al, do you want to start off? Do you want to sure. hit us with what you've got? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to start with one of the films that I, I feel would make a good double bill, with one of the films that you're going to talk about. So I'm going to start by talking about I, Tonya. Ah, this is the one I haven't seen, so I'm intrigued what right. you think. Okay, so it's a film that's directed by Craig Gillespie, who um, is a director I haven't seen any of the work of, but I think he's most famous for Lars and the Real Girl. Um, it tells the story of figure skater Tonya Harding, who back in the 80s, infamously, uh, had one of her nearest competitors attacked, to the point, uh, nearest, com- nearest, uh, nearest competitor, Nancy Kerrigan. Uh, she had her knee broken by a goon, on behalf of Tonya Harding, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's, an, it, it's an infamous, um, you know, moment of sports cheating. But one where I think a lot of people don't know the entire story behind it. Uh, so it stars Margot Robbie, who um, is almost unrecognisable in this, despite the fact it's not a huge makeup performance. Uh, Alison Janney has her mother, Lavorna. Sebastian Stan, who people probably better know from the Marvel films as the Winter Soldier, and others. Um, it's it's hard to describe exactly the tone of this film, which is often quite comedic, despite the fact that the subject matter is pretty much exclusively about abusive relationships. Um, but at the same time, as it as it being comedic, it doesn't underplay uh, the nastiness. Hmm. It seems to be a a little bit sugar on the pill as such. Um, it often breaks the fourth wall with um, Tonya. Uh, talking to the audience it's it's based around the entire film screenplays but based around two interviews that the filmmakers made with the real tonya harding and her real life estranged husband and uh, so often what they're saying is in contra- contradiction with the other yeah. um so you'll often see one scene play out and it's just that's described as total shit by the other person or for instance there's one particular scene where tonya fires a shotgun at her, hu- her husband and then the character turns to the screen and says, "This never really happened." <laughs> right. So it's quite an, it's quite an unusual style, actually, which I quite mm. enjoyed. Um, I mean, it's a tale mainly of two abusive relationships: one between uh, Tonya and her mother Lavonna, who uh, essentially was a total bully to her and absolutely harangued her into figure skating, never showing her any love, affection, or even gratitude. Uh, and between Tonya and her husband, who was violent. And she kept going back to and back to and back to. I think more than anything, the most impressive thing about Itania is the performance by Margot Robbie, who, as I said, despite this not being a hugely, you know, makeup, hair and makeup performance, is almost unrecognisable. She's normally someone who's ultra glamorous, 
Uh, when you think of the performance in Wolf of Wall Street especially, it's in massive contrast to this. There's something about the way the film deals with the issue of class, which is reflected in her performance, uh, where she seems constantly downtrodden, um, not really sure of herself except when she's on the ice, and constantly on the verge of a breakdown, which is understandable based on what happens in the film. Um, so I, I thought I thought that her performance and the performance of Alison Janney as her mother, who is icily horrible, uh, were standout parts of the film. And as I said, I really enjoyed the, the fourth wall breaking and the, the structure of the film, which was somehow funny, yet it didn't poke fun at the subject matter as such. It didn't make light of domestic mm. abuse, put it that way. All in all, um, I wouldn't say there's anything remarkably groundbreaking about the film. Um, I mean, there's certain hints of Goodfellas in the, in, in the way it's structured, uh, the way it breaks the fourth wall, the way it has comedic elements uh, to go alongside, you know, otherwise horrible events. Um, so it's certainly not unprecedented, but it's a good film. Um, and certainly, I think Margot Robbie is well worth the plaudit she's been getting for her performance. I think... The reason I think this would be a good double bill is because it feels like, I mean, this Sunday, at least in the UK, it's um, Mother's Day on uh, on the 11th. Mm-hmm. And this film is at the heart of it between a relationship between um, yeah, a daughter, daughter and a mother, <laughs> uh, which is in complete contrast with a different relationship in a different film you're going to talk about later. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I was, I, I was really impressed by this. And um, I said, particularly by Margot Robbie and, the way it's shot, the the actual figure skating scenes are shot like an action film, a bit like the way um, the drumming scenes in a film like Whiplash were shot almost mm-hmm. like an action scene. So, despite the fact I'm not, you know, somebody who would ever watch figure skating, or for that matter, anyone who'd watch jazz drumming, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it's it, it hooks you in, and it's there's a tension built on whether you know she's going to land a move or whether she's going to break down and cry and. It's um it's impressively done. Um, I I couldn't say that this film was. Um, I, I think it's right. It hasn't generally been nominated for best picture, uh, all the award shows, and I think that's about right. I don't think it's quite that level, but um, it's a really interesting story, uh, really told in a non-linear um, way, and I, I was really impressed by it actually. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it sounds a bit different. I really want to watch it. I hadn't really heard much about it. It sounds a bit different to what I was expecting. Maybe a bit more. I wasn't expecting the fourth wall breaking stuff, but that sounds interesting. I quite like it when that's done well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm it's definitely it, interested to see it. Very easy to get that wrong. It can come across as pretentious, I think, at times, but certainly not in this one because it's all um, very tongue in cheek. And I mean, the film from the very start has a little, um, a, a little, um, a, a few lines basically telling you how the film is based on two very contrasting interviews. And then mm-hmm. the film accepts that everything you're going to see on the screen is not necessarily to the point truth. Yeah. Um, the fact that it accepts that and allows the audience to go on this, you know, unreliable narrator uh, narrative train basically is refreshing. I enjoyed it for that respect, if nothing else. Yeah, and it sounds a bit like um, I always enjoy it when comedies do uh, tackle some you know difficult subjects without. Being satirical, um, I love satire, but I think it's more difficult sometimes to cover stuff like this, like domestic abuse, in a way that um, w- and still have comedy elements in the film, but still handle it in a serious way, which is what it sounds like this does. Yeah, I mean, th- there's nothing, um, nothing heavy-handed about the domestic abuse, but it also isn't, you know, it isn't turned into just you know 
a narrative trope. It's it's not yeah. just it's not just there to entertain. But at the same time, there is no Nancy herself has been sorry, not Nancy, um Tonya herself has been brought up in an environment of violence. So the real person didn't really see it as being as bad as it was. Yeah. And that's reflected in almost the way the film shows it. So, you know, you see her getting punched or thrown off a wall, and then you'll cut to an interview it's um that Margot Robbie's doing in characters, Tonya, where she'll say, Well, you know, I got hit loads and people always remember the one time that Nancy Kerrigan got hit in the knee by a bat, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so she almost undermines her own abuse. But the, but the film's keen to let you know that this isn't the film saying that. It's the character. It's based on the real person. Does that cool. make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. It sounds really... It's a story I know nothing about. I mean, I hadn't even heard it. So, I, 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 to see it. I, knew no, I knew nothing about it except the fact that it's a bit of a pop culture reference to say you cheated like Tonya Harding. It's like Barack mm. Obama a couple of years ago made that, made that joke in a speech. Oh, if right. anything... I mean, the film is quite sympathetic towards Tonya, who, you know, has been the butt of a joke, basically, for a long time. Um, This isn't really a film you can spoil either, because it's, you know... You may may not know the real story, but... Yeah. It's designed so, you know, there are no twists in it as such. It's, you know, it's the telling of the story. It's not not the ending of the story that makes it. Cool. Oh, awesome. I'm even more excited to see this now, so... Very good. Um, and I'm going to, as you said, that this would make a good double header. Um, I'm going to go to that film that I assume you were talking about next, um, which is the first <laughs> one I saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, which is the first film we saw yesterday in our double bill, which was uh, Lady Bird, which we went to see in Sheffield, uh, in the centre of Sheffield. So, um, Lady Bird is a, it's a coming of age comedy drama written and directed by Greta Gerwig. Um, starring, oh, I, I, I researched how to pronounce her name. Um, Saoirse. Saoirse, that's actually what I was going to say. Um, it's, it's Irish name, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, it's Siobhan's Irish as well, right? Because that's another one I always look at and I'm like, that does not look like Siobhan. Yeah, it looks like Siobhan. Siobhan or something, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Saoirse Ronan um, also stars Laurie Metcalf, Tracy Letts, Lucas Hedges, Timothy Chalamet, who's a, a bit of an up-and-coming, I think you've talked about him before. Um, he's in the film I, have, I keep wanting to see, but I haven't seen yet. Call Me By Your Name, isn't he? He's one of the yeah. lead characters in that, right? Um, Beanie Feldstein, Stephen McKinley, and Lois Smith. Sorry if I pronounced any of those wrong. Um, the plot centres on Christine McPherson, who prefers to be known as Lady Bird. She's 17, and the film basically chron- chronicles her last year at high school. Uh, you know, romances, friendships, fallout, so all the usual kind of coming-of-age tropes are there. But what sets it apart um, from other films that are similar to it is mainly about the fact that, which is something you've already brought up, is that it centres really on her difficult relationship with her mother. Um, Lady Bird and her mother, uh, they're both really strong characters and they kind of clash regularly throughout the film. Um, Lady Bird's like absolutely not afraid to say what she thinks and that's where kind of a lot of the comedy in the film comes from. Um and yeah, essentially, it's just that's kind of without spoiling anything that the way I'd go into do a quick plot synopsis. Um, I adored this film; I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, R- Ronan is brilliant in the titular role, and um, very different to I've seen her in Brooklyn as well. I think I don't know if I've seen her in anything else. Um, she was great in that as well, but very different. So uh, she's obviously got a lot of range. 
The supporting cast are also fantastic, particularly her parents, played by Laurie Mac- Metcalf and uh, Tracy Letts. I thought they were both excellent and portrayed like a really sort of realistic um, relationship. Um, the film creates a realistic picture of those like difficult teenage teenage years, while also being really watchable, moving, and funny as well. It's I thought it was, I mean, this is right up my alley anyway, because I love coming of age films. It's probably my favourite genre if I was going to pick one. And it's, it was particularly refreshing to see one that's about a female protagonist. That I don't think that's new in itself. Um, I think that's been done before, but where the end goal isn't to get in a relationship with a boy and suddenly, you know, all is fulfilled and that's the end goal and now everything's brilliant. Um, I think where there has been coming-of-age drama centred on female protagonists before, that's been (laughs) kind of what it's been about. And, yeah, there are romances in this and uh, obviously they're an important part of growing up and um, at your high school life, I suppose, but um, it's not everything. And um, this film is... I like the way this film kind of covers that really and uh, I love just love how it centers on her relationship with her mum which is something that's not really been done I don't think so much from a female perspective um, and you can tell it's been done by a female director for that reason and she's just I think she's just done a really really good job in portraying how how it is to grow up in a situation where you have a relationship with someone who obviously loves you a lot but it's still a difficult relationship because I think her mother was quite <laughs> disappointed in her quite often and things like that. She obviously did love her a lot, but um, that, it was still a very difficult relationship. And I think that was brought across really, really well. I don't know, actually, I've not read enough about whether it's in any way autobiographical uh, from Greta Gerwig. She did write I, it, right? So. Yes. So I'll jump in here quickly. Yeah, um, yeah go for it. So uh, it is, it's not a total auto, you know, autobiographical account. In fact, mm-hmm. Gre- uh, Greta Gerwig in interviews has said that she wasn't a lot like um, uh, Lady Bird. She was more like her best friend. Um, okay. More of a straight-laced student, but yeah. parts of parts of the film are based on her relationship with her mother. Uh, in particular, a scene in uh, early on, which is in the trailers, where she jumps out of a moving car. Although, <laughs> right, yeah. although, I, I, from what I understand, Greta Gerwig didn't move out of such a fast-moving car. Um, <laughs> so I think it's semi-semi autobiographical. Um, but even when it's not drawing upon her experiences, I think it's drawing upon the experiences of people she knew. And certainly um, Sacramento is where she's from as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. That's another thing it covers, actually, that some growing, growing up somewhere that's maybe not the most glamorous place to grow up and, uh, you know, longing to go <laughs> somewhere else with a bit more culture and stuff. Um, but yet still having that kind of feeling of being at home in this place. I thought it covered that really well. Um, yeah, overall, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's I like the way it's a really small story. There's no, like, major dramatic events. Um but I'm a sucker for coming of age dramas and this is absolutely up there with the best of them, I think. I think it was really, really good and totally deserves its Best Picture nomination and uh, it would be one of the ones that I would pick to hopefully win it. Certainly my top two or three of the ones I've seen of those nominations. <laughs> Al, what, what did you think of it? Loved it. Um I think it's probably... It's between this and a film I'm going to talk about later as my favourite film of the year thus far. Okay. I thought I thought what was really interesting about this is um, it's obviously very specifically about the mother daughter relationship, mm-hmm. uh, yet it was somehow extremely relatable, in the sense that often the people you're closest with, the people you love, um, you're at odds with because they both you both want what's best for you, um, but you don't often understand where the other person is coming from. What often can come across as being obstructive or being hypercritical 
is just their way of trying to look out for you. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think when you're a teenager, as Ladybird is, uh, you often don't know what's best for yourself, but you're trying to branch out, trying to be your own individual. Yeah, you're totally. a young adult trying to spread your ring, your wings, and you will lash out. You will make bad decisions. Uh, sometimes you'll be right. Sometimes you you've got to go with what you know yourself to be but often you don't really know yourself at that point yeah sure. um so even though it was quite obviously very specific to the mother-daughter relationship um and to an extent i probably can't fully appreciate the film as much as some women can um i i did find the relationship relatable and i think it was easy to put yourself in ladybird's shoes i thought what was particularly refreshing was the fact that the tone like you said was was light at times there was nothing I thought, actually, this makes an interesting counterpoint to Boyhood, almost, which I believe is what it was designed to do from a female perspective. I thought, nothing all that dramatic really happens. Mm, Um, Yet, often, it felt as dramatic as films where high drama happens, high melodrama. Um, I thought Saoirse Ronan uh, was superb, as was Laurie Metcalf. And I thought, I really like the performance of Tracy Letts as well, actually, um, who performs as her dad. Yeah, he's. I thought he was excellent. Yeah, very understated performance. I thought, um, and I just think the film is a really beauty, beautifully made, uh, subtly shot, coming of age, you know, drama where people. It's about it's about people trying to be individuals and people trying to understand their relationships with one another, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I was, I was, I was hooked on it. I thought it was really mesmeric. I think it's worth all the hype, and I think I know. I know, for instance, he won't mind me saying this. Michael didn't want to see this because he felt that the trailer made it look a bit twee, and right. that often that often can be the case with indie films. I think, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't feel that was the case in this at all. I didn't think anything was overblown. I didn't think anything was kooky, quirky. Un- no, no un- I mean un- unnecessarily so. She's a quirky character in a way, but yeah, but. And I can see why you might think that from the trailer, but no, I don't think it is. <laughs> I think she makes quirky decisions, for instance, calling herself, choosing to refer to herself as Ladybird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think there's anything inherently quirky about her actual characteristics. I think they are a reflection of real teenagers, basically, real people. You know, people who are not bad people by any stretch, but make, can make very bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they'll betray themselves on a very you know minutia of level, or they can betray their family, and it's it's not because they're terrible people. It's not because they've really done anything <laughs> terrible, but it's because they're trying to explore as to who they are. Um, and I, yeah, I thought I thought this is absolutely worth the hype. Yeah, um, totally I really insane. like to see really like to see it again as well. Yeah, I would. I'm gonna watch it again when it comes out. I'll tell you on that. Um, yeah. yeah, I was super super. super uh, not surprised. Uh, <laughs> it basically lived up to what I was expecting of it, which was a lot. I had really high expectations going in, which often means that even if I still like it, I end up disappointed. But that didn't happen here. It definitely lived up to them. I thought it was really, really good. Fantastic film. And um, I'm glad you brought up how it was shot, actually. Yeah, I think it was very kind of subtly, but still like not in a, a different type style of shooting, more in line with Florida Project than Moonlight, which we've discussed and, yeah. you know, Moonlight being where every shot's absolutely perfect, the lighting looks fantastic, and everything's a little bit glossy, uh, which isn't a style that I like as much for this type of film. Um, this being a bit more realistic. Still very uh, well, well shot and everything, but in a more realistic manner, I thought. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really good. 
Cool. I'm glad we both love it. Yeah, I, th- I think people often underappreciate how hard it is to make a film look this way while appearing like it's not really trying to be anything special. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. people just think, oh, they've just turned on the camera. They haven't done anything. You know, it that is good direction. Just yeah, because totally. it's not showing really good does direct. not mean it's not good direction. Yeah. But it, it's there's a difference, isn't there? Because it's like, say, uh, you Brit. Your average, and I don't mean to bring down average TV dramas here, but um, it would be shot. It wasn't shot in. That's I'd consider that realistic often, but this is shot. Yeah, has something more to it somehow. Um, it feels as an artist. Every shot thing. is still. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Every shot is still really arty, but in a different way. Not in a let's make every shot look perfect kind of way. It's hard to describe, but <laughs> but uh, it's there. It's a bit like um, I like you know on a writing scale, someone comparing someone like maybe Kerouac, who whose writing style you maybe wouldn't say is literally the greatest style ever, compared to someone who you know writes with you know spends four pages describing a tree. Um, don't know. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, more with less. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was really really good. Loved it. It's it's my favourite film I've seen so far this year by quite a long way. So. We'll see if any anything beats it by the end of the year. Um, Al, what have you got for us next? I, th- I believe you've got what um, another film that I saw a few days ago, actually. Yeah, so um, this film is the only film which is competing with my affections. I can't honestly decide which I preferred more. So, early spoiler, I really like this film. Um, it was The Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro, who people will know better from Pan's Labyrinth, The Devil's Backbone... Um, Pacific Rim more recently, uh, starring Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Michael Stilberg, Octavia Spencer, and Doug Jones in his customary monster outfit. Um, it's really, if you don't know the concept of this, it's it's almost hard to make it sound plausible. Um, it's a romantic, a, a romantic science fiction film set in the 1960s between a, a fish man and a mute woman. Um, it sounds so implausible. It sounds so ridiculous, so preposterous. Um, it's to the film's absolute credit that this is a masterpiece. In my opinion, um, Del Toro's best work since Pan's Labyrinth. I, I mean, I'm going to say it really quietly, but maybe better <laughs> than Pan's Labyrinth. That's just Ooh. my opinion. Um, it's directed with such a luxurious romance by Del Toro, echoing sort of classic Hollywood and you know, kitschy 50s, 60s science fiction at the same time. Um, the cinematography kind of works as a dance partner with it, um, quite in contrast with the film we've just been talking about, taking real intricate detail in each shot in terms of the lighting, mm-hmm. uh, making it really elegant. And I, I can't describe how achingly beautiful this film looks at times. Um, Sally Hawkins, as the lead in this film, is... Next level, basically. This is how you act. It's a near-silent performance uh, playing a mute character called Eliza. Um, She is as expressive and emotive as any other performance I've seen this year um, or in recent years, despite the fact she maybe says 10 words the entire film. Um, She somehow manages to express, um, especially in her signing as well, um, vulnerability and determination simultaneously and she's a real underdog you can get behind so the basic plot of the film is Eliza is a cleaner in a uh, laboratory a military laboratory which has found this uh, river monster as such 
worshipped as a god in South America. Um, she discovers this monster while cleaning, and she slowly falls in love with it. Really, really strong um, supporting performances from Michael Shannon in a deliberately kind of over-the-top monstrous boss. Uh, Octavia Spencer as Eliza's friend, and Rich- Richard Jenkins in a really strong performance as well as her best fr- gay best friend. Um, so they're both kind of wounded characters living together. Richard Jenkins' character as this artist struggling for work and struggling to express himself in a world that is inherently homophobic. I loved nearly everything about this. Um, it was told in real classic Hollywood tradition while taking narrative turns that would never be made in, in past Hollywood. It's one of those films that you do kind of fall in love with, or at least I did. Um, I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was it was a film that inspired varying emotions at different times. Couldn't take my eyes off it. Um, and as I said, I think Sally Hawkins' performance is the best of the year uh, by a distance. And... I would absolutely heartily recommend this to everybody. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on it, Clive? Um, before I start, have you seen Sally Hawkins in anything else? Just out of interest. Uh, nothing. I've seen. I've never seen her in a starring role before. I've okay, seen her in a I, few smaller ones. I saw her in um, Maudie, which I think I talked about on the podcast, um, where she stars with Ethan Hawke and plays the yeah. uh, artist. And um, she was really, really good in that. And I think that, in a way, took a little bit away from this film because she plays a character that's... They're not identical by any means, um, but they're quite similar. So, okay. to me, she was kind of... I don't know. In in my head, she's typecast into this kind of role, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I think that made it less impressive for me, I suppose, subconsciously. Um, I, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was fantastic. I think it's an absolute... You know, one of the most beautiful films you'll see, I think, in terms of how it's shot and everything's just... Really, really stunning. I, I thought the story was great. I think, like you say, it's something that if you say it, say it to someone, it sounds like it just should, shouldn't work, um, and yet it does. Um, I didn't have the similar like emotional connection that you did with it or anything like that, but I think that's purely because I'm not as into the fantasy genre and I've always struggled to um, get into things like this in a in a similar way to how I'd get into something like uh, that's a bit more realistic, like, say... Uh, Ladybird. So I think it's purely personal taste yeah, rather than it sure. being uh, yeah. poor in that respect. But it did. Um, I thought it was. Yeah, I really enjoyed. It. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would actually because I'd heard about it and I thought the premise sounded a bit ridiculous. But I, you know, I knew I know Del Toro's. I, I've actually. I feel like I've seen Pan's Labyrinth, but I must, it must be so long ago that I cannot remember it. <laughs> uh, Pan, Pan's Labyrinth is one of my favourite films I think of I all need time. To watch it again. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big big fan of Del Toro. Well, so if you're saying this might be even better, then uh, this must might be very be. high in your... I mean, the, the only problem is, I've seen this much more recently, so often, yeah, sure. often the latest film that you love is your favourite. Uh, but maybe if I went back to Pan's Labyrinth, I'd change my mind again. But um, mm. it's certainly it's in the same league as far as I'm concerned anyway. I mean, fantasy is not often a genre I get along with that well. Uh, but I think, I think I get along with Del Toro's fantasy because it's somehow romantic... Um, yet gritty at the same time somehow. Yeah, it's quite dark, isn't it? It's darker yeah, it's, it's than dark, normal. D- dark fantasy, yeah. Definitely, can see that. Yeah, I, I thought it was excellent. I think everyone should go and see it. She, um, Sally Hawkins is fantastic in the main role. Like I say, I think it was the brilliance of it was taken away a little bit by the fact I'd already seen her in Mordy very recently and she played a similar role, different but similar. 
But she is great. Um, I think she was kind of born to play that role, really, wasn't she? <laughs> uh. Well, she's she's so expressive. I mean, with 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 her hands, with her face, absolutely, yeah. with her eyes, and as I said, she somehow she's obviously a character you can have great sympathy for because of the difficulties in her life. But she's you never you never feel you never feel she's a pathetic character, not at all. No, um, no, very much not. on her side. She's the underdog, but. Um, you feel she is a strong character at the same time, and I, I was, I just, I couldn't take my eyes off her when she was on the screen. She was just, she was just like really magnetic. I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I can see that, and I think her, um, the person she lived with, I've forgotten the name of the actor. You did mention it, uh, Rich Jenkins. Um, yeah, think, he 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 was fantastic as well. I forget the name of his character actually. I'm just going to quickly look for that. And uh, um, did you say is it Michael Shannon's the? Yeah, Michael Shannon is the is the well the bad guy as such the antagonist. Uh, I think his performance is deliberately over the top. Mm, I thought it was brilliant. I think he made certain scenes in the film really like. There's a, there's one particular scene which really sticks out in my head, and uh, it's he's in it, and I think it's his performance that makes that so memorable. I, yeah, won't I think spoil he, what it is, but well, you, you kind of choose the scenery, but um, he's really echoing classic kind of Hollywood villain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he's obviously a despicable character with um, deliberately made quite conservative, I think, um, which Del Toro's way of kind of poking the bear a little bit in 2017. And I thought I actually thought Michael Stuhlberg, um he's one of these performers who turns up in everything, um, but I thought he was quietly reflective in this as uh, Russian spy slash saboteur in the lab as well. And and Octavia Spencer is you know it's. No surprise to anyone to hear that she was as good as she always is, basically. Yeah, she's always great. She's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shout out to Doug Jones as well, who uh, constantly seems to play monsters. So he played uh, in the Hellboy films, also by Del Toro. He played another fish man. Oh, and right. <laughs> in um, the, the recent Star Trek reboot, he plays um, a kind of alien creature as well. So I think it's just because he's so tall and lithe. He's kind of he's the go-to man for tall monsters, basically. All oh, right. Well, he definitely did a good job. Yeah. Was it all um, CGI'd, or I've not really read much about no, it? No, no, it's a costume. I think, as far as I'm well, aware, most of it's a costume, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I dare say there's been some CGI things put over the top of it, but um, as far as I'm aware, it was nearly all costume. Oh, okay, cool. Took, yeah. Took him hours and hours in makeup, I think. <laughs> as you won't be surprised to hear, yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> Okay, awesome. Right, uh, we'll move into my last film then, which is uh, something a little bit different. Black Panther, which is the one we saw at whatever, 11 o'clock last night in our double bill. It's the film, it's directed by Ryan Coogler, who co-wrote the screenplay with Joe Robert Cole, and uh, it stars Chadwick Boseman, who I've also seen in Get Up, the biopic about uh, James Brown, who stars as T'Challa, or Black Panther, um, alongside Michael B. Jordan, who I've seen on a lot of things, Lupita Nyong'o, sorry if I pronounce any of these names wrong, uh, Danai Gurira, Martin Freeman, who came in really unexpectedly to me and had an American accent, which was a bit weird. Um, he did do it well, though. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Letitia Wright, Winston Duke, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, and Andy Serkis in a role where you can actually see his face, which was wow. nice. Um <laughs> So it, the plot centres on, uh, basically, Wakanda is a country in Africa that's kind of got this hidden prevalence of vibranium, which is like the strongest metal in the world in this universe. 
Um, and it's kind of hidden this stash of it from the rest of the world for centuries for fear that other countries would use it for evil. They're, because of this, they're the most technologically advanced race in the world, but they've kept it hidden to all but their own people, really. Um, and it's about... T'Challa, I think, goes back to kind of claim his throne and... There's, I don't really want to, it's, it's difficult to spoil anything, but, you know, someone else wants his throne and it's about the difficulties of them deciding whether they, you know, the world is changing and them deciding whether they want to stay keeping this thing a secret or actually whether they want to start doing some good with all the stuff that they've got. And so there's kind of lots of internal dramas, but also this big world view of things as well, which I loved this film. Um, I thought I was going to like it and I've sort of, moaned about Marvel plenty of times on this podcast about how it's often very much the same thing. And I'm happy that they're giving... Um, they seem to be giving out their stuff to more interesting directors, um, notably with Thor Ragnarok. I've not seen it. I really want to. I'm um, going to... Oh, I've forgotten his name now. Watiti something, isn't it? Or something Watiti? Taika Watiti. Yeah, Taika Watiti, um, who did a couple of films that I really like. What We Are in the Shadows and... Hunt for the World of... That people. one, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And... Um, this one as well, and kind of just seemingly letting them just kind of do what they what they like with their vision rather than fitting a template. I think that's the way to go to keep these interesting. I thought the things I really enjoyed about it, I mean, story-wise, I didn't think it did anything particularly fantastically different, but I think it's how it's presented that is where this film kind of shines and what really sets it apart from other Marvel films. I mean, it absolutely, you know, I'm not African or know anything particularly about African culture. I don't know loads about it. I'd love to learn more about it. But it seems to completely, you know, nail that African theme. The music is fantastic. So much of the music is just... I think it's such a... They've taken such a risk with... Like, most of the soundtrack is percussive, um, African drumming, and it works so well. Um, it's You know, all the tension... All the scenes of tension are just done with, you know, the drumming getting faster and slower or every, every sort of build-up. And these huge action scenes often are just backed by drumming uh, in percussion, which is something I've never seen before and I thought worked really, really well. Um, I think that's one thing that was particularly notable to me as a big music fan. Um, the costumes were spectacular, really stood apart from any other Marvel film as being just way more interesting. Um, you know, I, I just thought, the, the, with that, you know, the Black Panther costume itself is nothing particularly different to superhero costumes we've seen before, but a lot of the other costumes are so uh, colourful and so full of life, and I thought that really set it apart from other Marvel films. It felt a bit more... The other thing I'd say that's quite different about it is it's called uh, Black Panther, but the it's not really about um, the Black Panther going around killing, uh, kicking ass all over the place like most superhero films are. It's much more of a, felt much more of a team effort um, about the Wakandan people and, you know, their, how they work together to, to get things done and these kind of traditions that they have in, you know, choosing the Black Panther and who stays as the Black Panther and those kind of things. And it felt... Much more, although there were scenes of Black Panther kicking ass, um, that wasn't the main thrust of the film, and I thought that was refreshing. Yeah, I thought it was really, really good. I think you should go see it. Kicks ass. Um, I don't think it's, you know, it's not going to probably make it into my top five, um, but I loved it. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm so happy I went to go see it, and I think it's a really refreshing take. And how refreshing is it to see a pretty much entirely uh, black cast and, yeah, so many things about this film, I was just like, yes, awesome. <laughs> they just took so many risks with it, and I'm really happy that they did. Yeah, I, I, um, I pretty much echo your thoughts there. I, I thought it was a really good film. Um, that was uh, putting, aside, putting aside the fact that it's obviously culturally quite significant in the sense that it's 
um, first all black uh, superhero, first black superhero, sorry, uh, first nearly all black cast. Um, if you just judge it purely as a superhero film, it's a strong one. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. You've got uh, the action scenes are really well crafted. There was a sense of um, danger. Um, I mean, uh, to, to an extent, obviously, you know that Black Panther's ultimately going to win or T'Challa's ult- ultimately going to win, but there was a sense of danger. And I thought Michael B. Jordan especially um, was excellent in this as a killmonger. Yeah, he's great in everything I've seen him in, actually. I'm a big he fan is. of his. I mean, he, I've seen him in both of Ryan Coogler's other films, uh, Fruitvale Station and Creed, and I thought he was excellent in both of them. Um, and I thought, I thought the plot made sense. I thought there was it was a little bit different. It wasn't just you know some superhero in a city fighting crime. And I thought, um, I just thought it was a good superhero film in that respect. I mean, when you take into account the fact that it's so representative of various groups, not just you know African culture, not just you know, African-Americans in relation to America, but also in relation to women as well. There's a lot of them. Um, I'm pretty sure this fi- this film would pass the famous Bechdel test. Yeah, uh, I'd, where, I'd imagine so. <laughs> where two women have a conversation uh, for at least five minutes. I'm, I'm not even sure if it is for five minutes, but that isn't about a man specifically. I mean, all the, char- all the female characters are extremely strong. Uh, Letitia White, who people might better know from, more recently from Black Mirror, um... We have Lupita Nyong'o, obviously, who people know from well various things, but probably most well from Twelve Years a Slave. Um, I thought the casting was excellent. The performance is really good. It doesn't reinvent the wheel. I mean, let's put it out there. I think, I think it's worth all the praise it's getting in the context of it being a superhero film. Um, I, I think possibly, I don't want to, I don't want to appear like one of these guys who's just a contrarian. I think possibly a little bit overhyped. In the sense that it's an important film culturally, it's a good film, but it's maybe not a, maybe not a great film. No, um, I can. I, I think as a film itself, like I say, I don't think the story it, it does some new things, but I don't think it like it still has the oh we've got to save the world, yeah. <laughs> all those tropes going on. Uh, ultimately, so. it's st- it's still a Marvel film. It's just a very yeah. good Marvel film, and mm-hmm. it's culturally extremely important. Um, I was very happy to see it. And I'm very happy to see how well it's done. And I would gladly see another Black Panther film. I think it obviously it's a film that's going to go down in history. Although somebody did point out the other day that this isn't quite the first, um, you know, black superhero, in the sense that we had the Blade films beforehand. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether they count as superhero, I don't know, but they were Marvel based anyway. But regardless of that, it's clearly the first um, black majority cast anyway. Um, it's. I think it's. It's done the rounds a lot on the internet, so this won't be news to anybody. But did you hear what um, Andy Circus and Martin Freeman's nicknames were on set? <laughs> I didn't know actually. It, well, it was a collective nickname for the two of them, because obviously um, Martin Freeman was Bilbo Baggins in the Hobbit films. Andy Circus was Gollum, uh, so they were known as the Tolkien White Boys. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, so I mean, I don't have a huge amount more to say in this. I thought it was it was a good film, which is culturally extremely important. Yeah, um, would welcome it back again. I think with it, like I've mentioned, with it being culturally important, doesn't play into the fact or just just to the fact like, oh, this is culturally really important. It also oh, it's also that set it film, apart yeah. because I think that, like I say, how it, that set apart how it's presented. I think it was presented in a much more interesting way than most Marvel films because of that. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it really embraced its theme, I suppose. 
I think. I mean, I think Ryan Coogler is, and especially he's one of those directors. He's he would make my top ten of you know younger directors who were um, making their mark. The type of directors you'd always go and see the film of. I thought, you know, he does an extremely good job here. He's got balancing the needs of Marvel with the needs of the story and with the needs of what has to happen in a film like this culturally. Yeah, you can't just have it not be about the fact that it's you know an African story basically. You've got to make that front and center, or else it's a cop out. And this film never cops out in that respect. And I thought uh, Michael B. Jordan's performance, as I've said, was excellent. I think his character is the classic example of the bad guy who's not an entirely bad guy. He's shaped by the world around him. He has different experiences to the Wakandans. The Wakandans, you know, have come from a culturally advanced society with, you know. You know, not the traditional African representation you have, where he's come from a society in America where he is um, mm-hmm. put upon, where he is you know, not not a first class citizen. Essentially, not given the same opportunities of an yeah. Else, yeah. Um, so I thought that was a good reflection as well. I can't, yeah, really looking forward to the next one. Um, I, I imagine he'll have a small role in um, the latest Avengers film. It seems that everybody's in it, but I don't know how much, but. Um, I'm sure we'll see another Black Panther film pretty pretty soon. Awesome, yeah, I'll be looking forward to it definitely. It was good. Um, okay, cool. Let's finish off with uh, some. Have you got a, a list of the? Let's get the best, best picture nominations up. Have you seen all of them, Al? I know you normally all try but one. to. Which, all one. which one have you not seen? Uh, Call me by your name. It just wasn't shown anywhere near round here. Oh uh, right, yeah, it's yeah. it's not going to be shown. It it was out quite a while ago, really. Um, I was hoping it was going to turn up on Netflix or something, but it probably won't because it's not at least not for a while because it is mm. Best Picture nominated. Um, I might rent it on demand. Um, I certainly want to see it. Yeah, I think I'm going to rent it because uh, I really want to see it. That's the glaring one I've missed as well. Um, I, th- I, th- I think for me, it would honestly be, if I was picking between those nominees, be a coin flip between Shape of Water and Lady Bird. Okay. Hard, hard for me to pick. Yeah. For me, it would definitely be Ladybird, but um, there's so there's there's some good stuff in there. I've I've not seen the post. Um, it's it, it's good. Uh, but call it's me by not... your, call me by your name. The other two I've not seen. I, I think ultimately the post and um, Darkest Hour. Yeah. While while good films are way out of their depth in the, in that field, in my opinion. Um, I think they're in there because they're stereotypical Oscar films, aren't they? It's yeah. like loads of old white people in it. I'm, I mean. <laughs> The the post is way better than Darkest Hour. Put it that right. way. But not that Darkest Hour is bad per se, but um, it's it's a performance piece. Yeah, sure, cool. Well, I guess we'll see. What, when is it? It's in a few days, isn't it? Um, I, I thought it was tonight. I might be wrong. Oh, maybe it is tonight. Okay, interessant. It's Sunday, by the way. If people aren't, <laughs> yeah, Sunday the fourth. It will have already happened by the time this is out. Maybe unless unless I've got the week wrong. <laughs> no, I think I think you could be right. Um, I'm disappointed. Obviously, Florida Project's not got nominated. It has got, um, I believe, Willem Dafoe's been nominated for a supporting actor. He has, yeah. I saw that, but um, and uh, Blade Runner didn't get anything, did it? I'm assuming. No, it got got a few technical ones, but it probably won't win those either. Although, how Roger Deakins has not won a Best Cinematography yet is this is his 14th nomination and he hasn't won one. Um, (laughs) It's an absolute travesty that he hasn't won one yet. Ridiculous. To be honest with you. He absolutely has to win this one, not just because it's his fourteenth try, but there was definitely not a better looking movie than Blade Runner. 
No, by, by a long shot. <laughs> awesome. Right, okay. Uh, let's wrap it up there. So I'll just do plug time quickly. Um, plug time! <laughs> oh, we didn't even attempt to joke there. <laughs> well, I just set myself up. Um, get in contact with the show, stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com. Stickaroundpodcast.com slash contact um, for a form. You can fill in if you'd rather not email. Uh, just a quick form. You can drop down menu, type some stuff, type as a question, and I'll get it on the same email. And we'll read it out on a show and answer it. Uh, stickaroundpodcast.com. We've got articles. That all the latest episodes are on there. All the all the episodes ever, in fact. So go there if that's what you want. You can also subscribe by email if you'd like to do that. So you'll get an email when the new show comes out. At Stickaroundcast on Twitter. We always announce there when there's a new show out. Slash Stickaroundpodcast on Facebook. Stickaroundpodcast on Instagram. You can also find... Uh, we've got a page on Just Giving. Just look for Stickaround where you can donate some money in our name to Shelter, which would be good. We're trying to hit a... I've set the target £200 for the year, by the end of the year. So let's see if we can meet that or even beat it. Who knows? Who knows? knows? Um, And I think... Quick plug for... um, I've just released a EP of stuff that I did last year for Form, which is February Album Writing Month. If you want to have a listen, theidlisle.bandcamp.com. Cheeky plug there. It's free. (laughs) So you can just download it for free. You can pay what you want. So if you want to pay me £300 for it, I'll take it. But it is it is really good as well. Give it a listen. I mean, you know, it's mind-blowing. It will. <laughs> Pitchfork are going to be all over it. No. <laughs> well, hopefully not all over it in a critical way. Let's hope. Uh, well, that would be fine, to be fair. <laughs> like, as long as they were listening, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People are probably be like, how have they given something 0.5? I want to listen to it. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Fine, you do it. Um, right, awesome. We'll be back next with... It was supposed to be music this time, but because of scheduling issues, we've done this. Um, so hopefully music next talk. time. Yeah, so hopefully music next time. If not, we'll go to games, but I'm sure it'll be music. So uh, thanks for coming, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks for coming, Al. Thank you, Clive. Pleasure to have you, as always. Um, I quite like these two-man shows. Uh, you know, none of the riff-raff around. Yeah, nice. just, you know, the core. The core. <laughs> just... <laughs> You know, the the quality unit. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. It's Stick Around